you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to return with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. All this month, on Sunday morning, we've been looking at the subject of finding your way back to normal. Finding your way back to normal. In this building, on this day, there's a large number of people, a strong majority of the people in the first service and this service, who have had some experience that was so pivotal that ever since that experience, they have been trying to find their way back to some semblance of normal. For some of those people, that pivotal experience has been a good one. It was a, a landmark, wonderful experience. But even from wonderful experiences, you and I have to make our way back to normal. But for most of those folks who have had a landmark experience, it has been more of a tragic one, one that has been traumatic, one that has been adverse, one that they wish had never happened. But it did happen, and they're trying to get over it, and they're working their way back to normal, some of whom have been working their way back to normal for some time. And so in thinking about this whole journey, talking about this journey on Sunday mornings just during January, uh, I went to the second chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's a Christmas chapter, I realize that, and some folks thought that we had already come and gone from Matthew chapter 2. We'd left the wise men back somewhere around Bethlehem sometime back in December. No, 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 we're, we're still there. We're still there. Because in Matthew chapter 2, there are people trying to get their way back to normal. It's a wonderful chapter. Uh, I, I've been here ten and a half years, almost ten and a half years, and this is the first time that I've taken one chapter and just preached on it for a whole month. Uh, it's a good that we do this. Perhaps I should have done it sooner, if for no other reason than to show that you can go to a passage of Scripture and there's no way you can mine all the gold out of it in a, in a one thirty-minute sermon or two or three or four. We're going to try to do it in five, but I'll tell you, we're not even going to do it in five. But it's good to go back and see that you can take most any passage of Scripture from God's Word, and it's so rich and so deep and so high and majestic and broad and so vast that you can, you can camp out there and you can stay there and you can build a house in a certain chapter and you can just be there forever and ever and not be able to mine everything that's there. It's kind of like what we're doing in Matthew chapter 2. But bring your minds into focus with me as we look at this chapter and we look again at people who are finding their way back to normal. We begin with verse 9. By the time you get to verse 9, the wise men have traveled from the east to Jerusalem. They've consulted with Herod. Where is this king of the Jews? If you want to know about the king, uh, just go straight to the current king. Except this king is the insanely jealous Herod. Herod consults with some religious leaders and then sends them to Bethlehem where the king of the Jews is to be born. And we pick up with verse 9. 
After the wise men had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the wise men returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. January is the month for getting back to normal. Whether it is getting back to normal from the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, which some folks were doing at the beginning of this month, or if it's getting back to normal after a whole week's worth of, of ice and snow, or if it is the experience of so many in our church and in every church that I have taught with anybody about, it's the experience of getting back to normal after three years of the worst economy that our nation has experienced since the 1930s. For some people, it is finding your way back to normal after the loss, a tragic loss of someone or something, and grappling with, with the meaning of it all and trying to understand why God allowed to occur what did occur. And we're trying to find our way back to normal. And it's on the news every day. You will not see a single local or national news program this week that will not have at least one story of people who have been touched by some sort of landmark event and now they are trying to struggle their way back to normal. Even this morning, I got up early and I looked at the news and next to preparation for the State of the Union address, the number one news story was one that we've seen every single newscast, national newscast for the last two weeks, and that is the story of Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords. And we have watched as, as the press 
seemingly in a microscopic way has has just hovered around this family to the point that we're getting a, a, an hour by hour journal of everything that's happening with this lady and her husband as she and he and they struggle to get back to normal. And not just her, but also the families of the other people who were killed in that tragedy and the families of those who were impacted by that tragedy and the whole city and state, Tucson, Arizona itself. People trying to get back to normal. The headline on the news story this morning was, was the Houston Rehab Clinic aims at giving Gabby her life back. Well, I hope they do. She's fighting her way back to normal. So it's everywhere. This is not something that is just going to touch maybe one or two people. It is everywhere. Everyone, the majority of people in any given arena are experiencing struggle as they go back to normal, which brings me back to Matthew chapter 2. When I jumped off the diving board into Matthew chapter 2, I was looking for people who were struggling to get back to normal, and I didn't have to swim very far to find them. They're everywhere in this chapter, from the wise men to Herod, from the religious leaders to Joseph, from Mary to the people of Bethlehem. Everybody is struggling to find their way back to normal, and so far we've learned some things. For instance, we have seen that finding our way back to normal requires being attentive to God's direction. We saw that two weeks ago. The wise men were given direction by God in a very unique and consistent way. God consistently spoke to them through a star of all things. I mean, one night way out there in the Far East or wherever they're from, presumably in the area that is now Iraq or Iran, they look up in the sky and there is a strange phenomenon and somehow they sense that through that phenomenon of a star, God is communicating with them, to them, trying to say something, as God always is trying to do. And he begins speaking to them through the star and they follow it for a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred miles, all the way to Jerusalem. They consult with Herod. And then, once they consult with Herod, Matthew says that the star continued leading them from Jerusalem, which meant it would, meant it would have to have changed course, went from Jerusalem back southwesterly, about 15 to 20 miles to Bethlehem. And Matthew says it stopped over where the child was. It's interesting, I think. God is constantly giving direction to those wise men, but the good thing about it is those wise men were attentive to God's direction, and it made all the difference in the world. There was Joseph. God did not speak to Joseph through a star. God spoke to Joseph consistently through dreams. Every time we hear of God giving Joseph a message, it is always through the context of dreams that he has. And so when he's thinking about divorcing uh, Mary from her their espousal because she has informed him she's pregnant, instead of that, Joseph has a dream in which God says, Joseph, you don't need to be afraid to take Mary. She's conceived of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of it. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. Take her to be your wife. Now, Joseph could have done like many of us may have done had we been in his place. So, oh, God doesn't speak in dreams. God doesn't speak to me in dreams. That's, I'm, I'm just dreaming. I'm just hoping. And he could have dismissed it. And he could have missed so much. But instead of dismissing it, like the wise men, Joseph was attentive to God's direction. And it made all the difference in the world. 
Finding our way back to normal requires being attentive to God's direction. Now, uh, by contrast, Herod received direction from God through the wise men, through the religious leaders, through the scriptures, through his strategic place in history, being the only king in Judea at the time that the Savior was born. And yet, even though God gave direction to him through at least those four ways, Herod, sadly, tragically, was inattentive to God's direction and missed the king of the Jews, missed the king of the Jews. Finding your way back to normal requires being attentive to God's direction. We've also learned, secondly, that finding your way back to normal requires time. I have not figured up how much time it would have taken for the wise men, presuming, uh, assuming that they came from the area of Iran, how much time it would have taken them, even by a camel that was at its peak health and driving in overdrive for a camel. How long it would have taken to, to travel seven, eight hundred miles from the area of Persia, what was then Persia, all the way to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem and back. But time passed. And even after they left Bethlehem, after having seen the child and traveled back, time passed. They were on their way back to normal, but time passed. It takes time to get back to normal. God rarely works overnight express. God rarely believes in minute to win it. God requires time. Joseph is in Nazareth. It's the town where he works. It's the town where he lives. It's the town where his girlfriend Mary lives. It's the town that he's gotten used to. It's his normal town. And uh, now his, he, he, he's planning to be married. Then he finds out his girlfriend's pregnant. He's going to divorce her, but in a dream God convinces him not to. Now he's got to go to Bethlehem to register for a tax. It's 80 miles. They travel an 80-mile journey with a woman who is in her last month of pregnancy. His hope is to get to Bethlehem, register for this tax, and rush back to Nazareth. Maybe be gone a month, month and a half tops. And then Mary's water breaks in Bethlehem, changes everything. They have to wait for her to give birth. They get there, the motel's no vacancy. You know the story. They have to... They have to go into an old cave where the cattle and the hogs go in, or not the hogs, but the cattle go in to eat. Born, the crib is not a crib, it's a, it's a cow's trough. They have to stay there. Eight days later, they travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem to dedicate the child. Then they go back to Bethlehem. By the time they go back to Bethlehem, the crowd has already registered and, there's le- and they've left and now there are vacancies at the motel to the point that they have to stay there. Mary's in no shape to travel at first. They have to stay there and while they're there, some time passes and the wise men come. The wise men don't find them in a cattle barn. They find them in a house, Matthew says. In fact, the day they came, if you follow Matthew carefully, the day they came, the Bible says, they found, the wise men found Mary and the child in the house. No mention of Joseph. Now, Joseph is not dead. I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's gone to the store. I don't know if he's gone to get gas. I don't know what the deal is, but he's not there at the house when the wise men arrive. They spend some time there. Time has passed. They give their gifts. Finally, they leave. They're warned in a dream to go home a different way. They go home a different way. Joseph is warned in a dream to go down to Egypt. Wasn't in his plan. 
And all of a sudden, what should have been a month, month and a half journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem and back to Nazareth uh, takes a, a turn that goes down south southwest into Egypt at least 120 miles and they stay there for the better part of two years until God tells them otherwise. When he does tell them otherwise, they finally travel the 200 miles back to Nazareth. And by the time they get back, two and a half, three years have passed. Finding your way back to normal takes time. That brings me to uh, the key ingredient that I want to leave with you this morning. Another key ingredient to finding your way back to normal. And in order to look at this, I want to return once again to the wise men. We know they came from the Far East. We know they probably traveled at least seven, eight hundred miles. They first came to Jerusalem, as you well know, and they consulted with Herod. Wish they hadn't have consulted with Herod. But they consulted with Herod. They didn't know any better. These wise men were wise, but they weren't omniscient. They weren't all-knowing, so they consulted with Herod. It made sense if you didn't know any better. Herod gets really disturbed because he's insanely jealous. He kills anyone and everyone who threatens his kingship. And he's going to try to do that with this new, this new information about a king of the Jews. But he gets enough information from his religious leaders that the wise men go to Bethlehem. They find Mary and the child in the house. They spend some time there. Maybe Joseph returns. Matthew doesn't tell us. But they stay long enough to, to be confronted by, to experience firsthand this, this wonderful, perfect child who is God lying there on some sort of mattress in this house. And then they get up to leave. Now remember, Herod has told them, come back and let me know where you find him so that I can go worship him too. That was the agreement that the wise men had with Herod. So they leave Bethlehem, but on their way, they take a nap. And they have a dream. This is an unusual way for God to speak to them. He's spoken to them heretofore only by a star, so far as Matthew is concerned. But here he speaks to them in a dream. And this time, it's not an encouraging dream. It's not a dream of, boys, you did the right thing, and I, I just want you to know that in this dream, I want to tell you how blessed you are and how I'm going to bless you for having thought. That wasn't that kind of dream. It was being warned in a dream. This is a little bit serious. You see, they started dreaming, and yellow flashing warning lights go to, with strobes. They get your attention. It's being warned of God in a dream that they should not go back to Herod. And then that verse 12, which, which is my, my favorite verse in the whole chapter, oddly enough. Here's what it says. It says, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, the wise men returned to their country by another route. One translation says, being, having been warned of God in a dream that they should not go back to Herod, they returned to their own country another way. Now, I'm not uh, naive about the Scriptures. I believe that this verse says exactly what it means. They were warned of God in a dream, and so they, they decided not to go back by the same road that they came. That is, to put it in our uh, local vernacular, they came by way of Interstate 85, but God said, you're not to go back that way. I want you to go by Georgia 16. And so they went a different way. They didn't go by Herod. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with taking the verse as it says. 
But I believe it means more than that. I believe there's a message there that's more than just, they came by 85, but I want you to go home by Highway 16. I really think there's a message that says something like this. Once you have experienced Christ, once you have experienced Christ, even in your tragedy, even in your crisis, even in your landmark event, and you're on your way back home, you have to go another way because you are different than when you came. And so the wise men, when they finally travel that seven or eight hundred miles home and they get back home to their families and to their country and to their people, I want you to hear this. Hear this. Are you ready? The, the wise men returned to the place from which they came but they were different people. Finding your way back to normal may land you in the place from which you started, but it will leave you a different person from who you were when you started. Then there's Joseph. Joseph struggles with Mary and a little bit with God down in Nazareth, finally leaves and travels the 80 miles to Bethlehem, stays an indefinite amount of time in Bethlehem, then leaves and travels 120 miles at least down to Egypt, stays in Egypt for an indefinite amount of time. Finally, uh, when he hears from God, he heads back. Not a straight, the way a crow flies uh, voyage, but he heads back the 200 miles back up to Nazareth, Finally, after almost three years, he gets back to Nazareth, gets back home. He's back to the place from which he started. But there's not a person in this building who believes that he was the same person. Neither Joseph nor Mary were the same people. I'll say it again. On your way back, when you find your way back to normal, you may get back to the same geographical place from which you came. You may get back to the same place from which you started. But you will not be the same person that you were. And the reason is, God doesn't want you to be the same person. He wants to be able to use your journey, your experience, whatever it includes, to change your life. This happens so often in Scripture. My favorite passage of Scripture is Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. It's always been my favorite. It was the first sermon that I really listened to and understood, the parable of the prodigal son, and I love it ever since. You remember the younger son came to his daddy while his daddy was still alive and said, Daddy, I know that normally when you die, my brother and I get the inheritance, but I'd like for you to give me mine now. It was an audacious request. Even more audacious is the fact that the father granted the request and gave him his portion, and it wasn't long before the younger son gathered his inheritance and all packed up all of his, his clothes and everything else, and he headed out on a journey. We don't know how long he stayed on that journey. What we do know is that he wasted everything he had. He lived a rebellious, disobedient life, a carefree life, didn't care about God, didn't care about his father, didn't care about his brother, didn't care about doing what was right, just spent everything until 
He reached in his pocket one day and all he had was a piece of chewing gum didn't have any money. Then he went and got a job. Couldn't find a job with anybody that a Jewish boy normally would work for, and so he ended up having to work for a pig farmer. Now, just a little footnote here. Jewish boys don't work for pig farmers. That tells me that he had looked for a job elsewhere and had come up empty and ended up having to work at a place that he normally would not dare have worked and he certainly didn't want his daddy knowing he'd worked there and he got to the point where when he would feed those hogs he wanted to beat the hogs to the trough. He wanted to eat their food. This is called desperation. And then he wakes up. You know, you can, you, you, he could have gone to the pharmacy and got medication, but there was something that pig slop did that nothing else could. It woke that boy up! And he headed home. And about halfway home, his father, who'd been looking for him every morning and every evening, saw him, went out, and Luke says that he bear-hugged him. Now, I wouldn't have done that. Not until he had a bath. That boy smelled like hogs. His hair hadn't been washed in no telling how long. His clothes were dirty. His breath smelled. And I would have said to him, boy, I want to hug you, but your mama said you got to take a bath first. But he hugged him. He hugged that boy, and he brought him home. Now, the boy, when he left, the day he left, it was all, gimme, gimme, gimme. Dad, I know you got an inheritance. Gimme my part of it. A little bit more if you can. I'll take some of my brothers. I'm sure that was part of the conversation. Gimme, 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 gimme. But when he came back home, there was not one single sentence that had gimme in it. It was all, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and I've even sinned in your sight. I'm not even worthy to be called your boy anymore. The boy came back to the place where he started, but he was not the same person. Think about old Moses. Moses, you know, Exodus chapters 1 and 2, was born in Egypt. He should have been killed because that was the policy of firstborn boys, but instead he was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter and was raised for the first 40 years of his life in the palace of Pharaoh in Egypt. You can't beat that for the providence of God. But when he leaves Egypt at age 40, he is a disgraced man. He's a fugitive. He is a beaten down man. His face is on every milk carton in Egypt. And not because he's a missing child, it's because he is a fugitive murderer. They have an APB on Moses. But he's left. He leaves and he goes to the desert, to a mountain called Sinai. He meets a man there and marries the man's daughter. And one day, when he's along about 80, 75, 80 years old, he goes up to that mountain. He's doing his normal business of tending to the sheep. And there is this bush that's burning and God's speaking to him. And he says, look, Moses, I'd like for you to go back to Egypt. Well, I don't know you. Well, my name is I Am. I Am? Tell him I am who I am. Well, I can't speak. Well, I'll, I'll be your mouth. Well, I still can't speak. Well, I'll send your brother. Excuse, one excuse after another, after another, until finally God says, get down there. 
Finally, Moses goes to Egypt, 80 years old. He's been gone for 40 years. He left in disgrace. But when he returns to Egypt, he's not the same. He left Egypt a beaten down fugitive. He came back to Egypt, a man on whose head God's hand was. Pharaoh looked at him and he said, I think this is Moses. But boy, he's different. And after ten plagues, the tenth of which cost Pharaoh his own son, they send the Israelites away under the leadership of Moses, at least temporarily. They start pursuing them later. But the Israelites get to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites cross over as on dry ground. After they cross over, the waters engulf the Egyptians who are now pursuing them. And then Moses proceeds to lead the children of Israel down back to the desert, back to that mountain. And he says to them, this is where, this is where I've been for 40 years, but if you will stay here, I need to go talk with God. And he went back on that same Mount Sinai and went and found that place where the bush was. And he talked with God. Only this time, although he'd come back to the same place, there were no excuses. You see, he was back to the same place, but he was a different person. You get what I'm saying. Finding your way back to normal will result, perhaps, in you getting back to the same place. But you will never be the same person. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray that You would help us as we journey not only to experience the journey. Lord, help us not only to endure the journey, but help us to enlist that journey for Your glory, for our growth, and for the good of someone we can help. Lord, help us as we find our way back to normal. Lord, somebody in this congregation needs to receive you as their Savior. They need to come to the front and say, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. Help them to do that, Lord. Somebody who's here who is saved needs to come and rededicate themselves to you. Someone who is here needs to join this church, this church family, become a real part of it. Lord, there are others who just need to bring a concern to the altar of prayer. Lord, help us to do that. Help us not to sit back if we need to come. In Jesus' name.